afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we're going to be talking a little bit about a a very dark concept today, the concept of sin and whether or not that whole concept is a mistake. So let's think about that. A large part of the world has lived for centuries into a concept of sin that has us sinning from the moment of our birth and being unable to stop sinning until we die. This belief has people disavowing, even dismissing their personal light, their personal power, and their personal divine nature. So much of religion in the Western world is based entirely on this concept of sin. Even the very idea of salvation is based entirely on the sinful nature of humanity. But what if it isn't true? What if the concepts as we have built them are based in a duality trance state that has us believing we're separate from God when it's clear even from the Christian Bible and the Jewish Tanakh that there is no such separation? What if we really are the gods Jesus said we were? What if we really are a little lower than God as the psalmist said we were? What if sin is simply unconsciousness? Stay right here for this important conversation. So let's talk a little bit about this concept of sin. According to much of traditional Western religion, uh, we are born into original sin, which means we are sinning from the very first nanosecond of our birth. And we will be sinning until we die. And I have literally talked to people who tell me that uh, they know that they've been sinning all day, every day. And I ask them, well, tell me what those sins were. And they go, I don't know, but I just know I have been because I'm a sinner and that's what sinners do. There's just this overall belief that, that sin is a constant narrative in our lives. And it, it controls big parts of our behavior and it controls our thoughts and and, of course, there's also the power of the devil who wants us to sin and wants us to go to hell. Those are concepts that are pretty prevalent in the Western traditional motif. Um, so here's the thing I want to say up, up, up front. There definitely is a Christianity that is very deeply spiritual and very deeply powerfully connected to the divine. On the other hand, and I call that Christianity Christianity because it's based in Christ's teachings. It's not based in uh, <clears throat> false interpretations. It's not based in, um, you know, just the, the inerrancy of those false interpretations. But also, but it is based in the mystical connection between the Christian and his or her God. So... I want to just separate that Christianity out from some of the traditional beliefs that are not really true and according to the root language of the Bible are not really true. And um, we've based a lot of our um, falsehoods, we've based a lot of our livelihoods on these untruths. So I want to talk about that for a little bit. Uh, The first and most important concept about sin is that it separates us from the divine. 
Now, I'm calling the divine the divine because I I hesitate to call it God because God is used strictly for Christian religion and uh, it's not, it, Brahman is Hindu, the Buddhists don't really believe in a God, they believe in a philosophy of Buddhism, which is a practice. Um, uh, uh, the, the Islam faith believes in Allah. There are different names for God, for for the divine. And so I, I hesitate to call the divine God, although when we're talking about Christianity, I think I can call it God because that's what Christians call it. So um, I, I want to you know, clarify that as well. So you may hear me mix those two things up, calling it the divine and also calling it God. Um, but, you know, so the, the idea of salvation is based entirely on the sinful nature of humanity. So the reason we need to be saved, according to the traditional Christian motif, is because we're sinful and we're born into original sin. And therefore, we must be saved. And for many, many Christians, what that means is that we have to say the prayer, asking Jesus Christ to uh, be our Lord and Savior and uh, forgive us of our sins. So uh, that forgiveness of sins is primary because the sinful nature of humanity is primary. So that, that you know, and, and, and I hear even Christians say, that they can't say a prayer to God, that God will not hear them until they first ask for forgiveness for their sins. So they, they have to first ask for forgiveness of sins, then pray for other people, then finally pray for what they want. Um, so this order of prayer is essential because even though they're Christians, they continue to sin. And, and, and so, you know, we, we need to think about how powerful that concept is that you just can't get away from it. And what that ultimately means from a spiritual, psychological perspective is that we are measuring our worth based on our sinfulness. So people go to their divine and say, I'm unworthy of your love, and yet you love me. And while that creates a lot of gratitude, and I I certainly can understand that, it also puts the person in a place of unworthiness. And psychologically speaking, that's a very dangerous place for people to be. It's one of the uh, DSM-5 criterion for depression, for major depression. And uh, so that sense of unworthiness can be perpetuated by this idea of sin. And so it's dangerous psychologically for us to constantly thinking that we're sinful people. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think that's extremely important as well. Uh, so, okay, the, the primary concept of sin is based in the idea that we're separated from God, that sin separates us from God in the Christian motif. And yet, in the Old Testament, the Jewish Tanakh, from Psalms 139, 7-10, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or to where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I descend into Sheol, behold, you are there also. If I lift up my wings like those of an eagle and dwell in the far out parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So what is that saying? It's saying we cannot get separated from God. It's not possible. And if David is the one who wrote this, David was obviously a sinner. 
he had somebody killed on the front line of, line of a war so that he could steal her wife, his wife, excuse me. And so, you know, that's a pretty damning sin, if you want to think of it that way. But he's the one that said this. It doesn't matter where I go, I cannot get separated from the divine. So if sin separates us from the divine, and David was a sinner, then how is it that he was not able to be separated from the divine? How is that true? And some people might say, well, God forgave his sins. Well, maybe that's true. We don't have any documentation of that in the, in the text of the Bible. But maybe that's true. But if it is, why, it, you know, the separation that exists here, it, I mean, the separation here that does not exist is, is not mentioned as a factor of sin. There's no... Because I have been forgiven for my sins, therefore, I can't be separated from your spirit. That's not what it says. It says, where can I go? There's no place on, on earth or in heaven or in hell that I can go where I'm separated from you. Now, hell, I'm losing hell, using hell very loosely there to be Sheol. And if you've listened to some of my other radio shows about the mistake in Christianity, you know that uh, hell is not a, a, a real place we go to after, di after we die. It is actually the suffering we do here on earth that is supposed to facilitate our transformation into more awareness of who we are as divine beings. So um, that's a whole other show, and I'm not going to get into that now. But I, but I just want to make it clear that he says even after he dies, he goes down to Sheol, which was the place of the dead for the Jewish faith, and for the Jews, they believe that if you were a sinner, you stayed in, in Sheol for a year and did penance for your sins, and then you were released and you went on to heaven. Um, at least that's one of the Jewish beliefs. Um, so uh, that was back then, back in the, in the day that this was written. So um, what he's saying here is there's no place I can go where, where not only do you lead me, but your right hand shall hold me. Not only are you there with me, just kind of invisibly, uh, non-communicatively there with me, but you are holding me in your right hand all the time. So now what could that possibly mean about somebody that is, say, a serial killer? Just think of the worst possible thing, a mass murderer or a serial killer. Is is that person still being held in the right hand of God? Well, there's lots of uh, thinking that we'd have to do about that. Um, but the first thing we have to do is eliminate the concept of sin as the reason why people get separated from God. Um, if no one can be separated from God, then no one is separated from God. And so that means that even the serial killer is held in the hand of God. Does that mean the serial killer knows he's being held in the hand of God? No. And that is the issue. Unconsciousness is the issue. We are not conscious of who we are. We're not conscious of the fact that we are gods, as Jesus said we were. We're not conscious of our own inner divine nature, which is clearly uh, delineated in the Bhagavad Gita and the Dhammapada and other books that clearly delineate a, a self that is also a divine self, an Atman, who is a divine being within us all. 
we can be unconscious of that. We can live our entire lives not knowing that we are divine beings and therefore acting out a whole other drama. And so, is the serial killer being held in the, held in the hand of God? I say yes, but he just doesn't know it. And because he doesn't, he's identified with something wholly different, something that looks dark and evil. So, uh, so when we... When we talk about sin as the primary issue in our lives, it not only starts us off from a negative perspective, uh, but it also tells us that we're unworthy. And it also keeps us from being aware that we, can, we are mightily connected to the divine. Mightily. Even being held in his, hand, his or her its hand. So... And here's another one from Romans 8, 38 and 39. The first one was from the Old Testament. This one's from the New Testament. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creating thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is powerful. That means there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And what is the love of God? It is God. God is love. That's what it says in Hebrews. God is love. That's the very definition of what God is. God is love. Maybe it's not Hebrews. Maybe it's First John. Either way, the definition of God is God is love. So if we can't be separated from the love of God, we can't be separated from God. And we saw that love in Christ Jesus our Lord, who is the very, who demonstrated for us what it's like to live as a divine being right here on earth. He was doing that to teach us that we also had that power. Why? How do I know that? Because he said, greater things than these shall you do because I leave, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm going to heaven. But I'm leaving and therefore, because I'm not around, you will have the power to do these things. So, uh, so what Jesus was saying there is, you are like me. You are a divine being. He also said, do, you, do your scriptures not tell you that you are gods? He's the one that said that. And yet, that was considered to be blasphemy. And that was part of the reason why the Pharisees and the, the political people came after him. So, uh, if nothing can separate us from the divine, prince, no, not even principalities, and what is sin but a principality? If nothing can separate us from the divine, then sin is not the big deal that we've made it into. Sin is not the basis of everything else. Sin is not why we get saved. Sin is not the, the big, 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 big problem we've made it into. In fact, I would even say that because we've made sin such a primary issue, that is why people can identify with evil and act out evil as if it is the very essence of who they are. Of course, it isn't the essence of who they are. The essence of who they are is Atman, divine being, divine self, the I am, the, the, you know, the I am that is the way, the truth, and the life that lives in all of us, the Christ nature, the Buddha nature. Whatever you want to call it, that is who we actually are. 
but the basic tenet of original sin says that who we are is sinners. We're all just sinners, and we're in need of a Savior. And so that calls into question the whole concept of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. You know, we know that Jesus died on the cross, and we know that he resurrected. And that's all true for all of us. We all resurrect. But what we, what we don't know, what we haven't been told until later into the New Testament, is that he died for our sins. So that concept came about after the Gospels were written. And therefore, we can call it into question. Did he die for our sins, or did he die to show us that we also live? That we never really die. Just because he wanted to show, he, he was able to show us that we resurrect. And so, this concept of sin has just permeated everything about uh, that whole Western motif, and it and it means to us that we can we feel like we cannot unite with the divine in any kind of really uh, mystical fashion. Um, like the the, myst- the Christian mystics of the Bible, of, not of the Bible, the Christian mystics of history teach us that we are one with the divine and that we can unite with the divine and live as one with the divine. But that's not what we learn from this mistaken Christianity that tells us that we, we, we're separate from the divine. We're not allowed to be part of the divine. If we call ourselves divine beings, then we're blaspheming. blaspheming. But Jesus said, don't your scriptures tell you that you are gods? And Jesus also said something else very powerful and interesting in, in Luke. He said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So what he was saying was, the kingdom of heaven is not some faraway place up in the sky we go to after we die. It is a place where we, we can live into right now, right here on planet Earth, as we're walking through, through our faith and determining that we are one with the divine, coming to understand our oneness with the divine through our experience with the divine. That's the piece that gets left out so many times, that experiencing piece. And that's the piece that we want to talk about as we move through the rest of this show. So that's it for right now. I'm going to take a little break, and we'll be back in just a minute with more. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. 
Every story has its flip side. And we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the mistake of sin. Uh, and what I mean by that is not that, that sin is a mistake that we make, but rather that the concept of sin is, a mis- is mistaken. We've been taught in the Western culture that sin is primary to all of Western religion, that even salvation is totally dependent on the concept that we are failed and flawed human beings from the get-go. And that we need to be uh, saved in, from our sins in order to be okay and to go to heaven. And those people who don't get saved and get forgiven actually go to hell. So the concept of sin is so primary that it has eternal consequences, according to the, the tradition. But if we look at what the text of the Bible says, it says something very different. Um because it says that we cannot be separated from the divine. If we cannot be separated from the divine, then there cannot be a hell that we go to when we die that separates us from the divine. If we cannot be separated from the divine, then there is, there is no way to separate us here on planet Earth from the divine, even when we sin. Now, here's the thing. I'm not advocating that we should just go out and, you know, rob banks and kill people and do all that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we should operate out of sin just because sin is not the main problem. I am, what I am saying is that the concept of sin, as it has been perpetuated down through tradition and is, and is developed into this almost cult-like thing here in America, is that we must, uh, we must believe ourselves to be unworthy of the divine love and, and trust that the divine loves us anyway. And we must uh, come to we must come to some uh, uh, basic prayer or ritual or understanding in order to to come to see that we've been forgiven. And all of that is based in in sin. What if it is true that the that this whole concept is based in duality? In what I call the duality trance state, in which we believe ourselves to be separate from the divine because of our sin, because God is good and man is evil, and never the twain shall meet unless we go through a certain ritual, say a certain prayer, or have a certain religion. But what, what the Bible says, what Paul said in Romans was, nothing can separate us from the love of God, and God is love, so nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from God. That means even our sin cannot separate us from God. 
But that's what we've said thus far. We also said something about experiencing the divine. And what's, what's been true across the globe is that when people meditate or, or have some kind of mystical experience, they all experience what's called a, uni- uh, a unitive experience, where they believe themselves to be one with the divine and one with all of nature and all of humanity and all of everything. So if we are one with God and one with everything, then that's the final truth. That's the ultimate reality. That's what mystics across the globe, regardless of religion, have experienced. Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, Jains, Muslims, all kinds of people who meditate or have a mystical experience have had that same unitive experience. So if experience is a scientific way of coming to truth, then we should know that that unitive experience is is a truth. And it's also documented in the Bible, in the Christian Bible. For it says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul wrote that. I don't like everything Paul writes, and I don't agree with everything Paul says, but this is, this is pretty powerful stuff. What he's basically saying is there is no separation, not between God, not between us and God, not between us and other people, regardless of race, creed, or religion, or anything else. We're, we're all made to drink of one spirit, he says. And so if we're made to drink of that spirit, if we're created to drink of that spirit, then that spirit is a part of who we are. And that creation does not fail. One of my favorite Bible verses is the one from uh, Isaiah 55:11, where he says that uh, my word will not return to me empty. He's talking about the rain coming down to the earth and planting flowers. And just like the rain does its job, his word will do its job and it will not fail. And so what that basically means is that if we were created to drink of one spirit, then we're drinking of one spirit because God's word will not return to him empty. And, and so when we come back to, to the source after we die, we have accomplished in that lifetime what we were meant to accomplish. Now, I believe in reincarnation, and I don't know whether you do or not, and I know that's blasphemy to a lot of Christians, but uh, the Bible actually talks about reincarnation because Jesus says that uh, John the Baptist is Elijah. And and he also, uh, his disciples another time asked him about a blind man who was blind from birth, and they asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? So what they're basically asking is, is this karma? Did he sin in some other life and then bring it to this life so that he's blind at birth? He couldn't have sinned after birth to be blind at birth. It had to have been before birth. So they're asking, did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, neither one of them, but that the glory of God can be displayed in him. And when you look at the root language for displayed and look at the root language for that sentence structure, what you find is that, is that, um, that Jesus was talking about that this man had come here to 
to define himself as a divine being. And that was part of his job, and the blindness was a part of that process of him coming to know himself as connected in oneness with the Holy Spirit, with the, with the divine. So that's what was being said there. And so Jesus himself was talking about reincarnation in two different episodes that we know about and possibly others. So uh, so when we say, oh, well, that's just Eastern religion, we don't need to believe in reincarnation because that's that would be sinful, maybe that's the top of the devil. The thing that's that's really one of the big mistakes of of this mistaken Christianity, not Christianity, but the mistaken Christianity is that they believe that theirs is the right religion and that there is no other religion that's the right religion and that anybody else who doesn't believe as they believe is going to hell. And there are some people a, a part of this religion, not everybody, but some people are a part of it who believe that uh, there's uh, literally only 144,000 people who will go to he- heaven in the end after every, you know, after the judgment day. Um, so, uh, if that's really true, then God has totally failed in His mission. He created us to drink of one Spirit, and yet 99% of the world is going to hell. That's a failed God. I don't believe in a failed God. Do you? So when we really think about these things, when we really start thinking about what what the scriptures actually say to us, they say something very different than what we've been taught. Here's another one. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now how could Jesus say you're doing it to me if you do it to them if there's not any oneness? There's no way that Jesus is not saying, I am one with these people, so when you do it to them, you're doing it to me too. So again, if he's one with even the least of us, what does the least of us mean to most Christians? It means somebody who's a sinner. If he's one with even them, then sin is not the big issue. The big issue is whether or not we're conscious of the fact that we're one with the divine. So if I'm not conscious of the fact that I'm one with the divine, I'm liable to identify with even something as strong as evil. I might grow up in a home, for example, where everything I do is, is you know, considered to be sinful. And I'm always being told how bad I am. And I'm always being told that, uh, you know, I'm just not worthy. I'm not going to amount to anything. You know, I'm always being verbally abused that way. And so... Uh, I grow up to believe that I'm a bad person. So what am I going to do with that belief? I'm going to act like a bad person. And I might need to even act badder and badder and badder over time so that I can prove to myself that I actually do exist. If my existence is based on an identity that says I'm bad, then I'm going to have to prove that I exist over and over again by being bad. So I might have to get so bad that I become a serial killer. But is that who I really am? Or am I just unconscious of the spirit that I'm drinking from? So you see, maybe what, went, what Jesus meant when he said, go and sin no more, maybe he meant, wake up. Wake up to who you really are. You've just seen a miracle inside yourself. Wake up to who you really are now. Maybe he didn't mean, go and, and, and be good. You know, don't, don't do anything that's quote-unquote bad. 
So another part of this depends on how we look at the concept of perfection and the concepts of righteousness. So there's a passage in Matthew 5:48 that says, "Therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." So what he's saying is, you have to be perfect like God is. Now, if that's really true, then every one of us have failed if we're thinking about perfect perfection in the way we think about perfection from the Western perspective. It means we can't ever sin. We can't ever do anything. We can't make a mistake. We can't do anything wrong. But Jesus says, uh, you, you must be perfect. So if that's really true, what does he mean by perfect? Well, when you look up the root language, what that means is complete, finished. In other words, you've got to finish the work you came here to do. And that might, ha- might take several lifetimes to do, but you're going to finish the work that you came here to do. Why? Because God's word does not return to him empty. You are God's word, and you will not return to God empty. You will finish what you came here to do. You absolutely will. There's no way you can fail. Why? Because God does not fail, and you are one with God. So, uh, so perfection doesn't mean what we think it means. We've been taught that it means not being bad. But actually, what it means is being finished, completed. And the other one says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's Matthew 5.20, same chapter as the one before. So, so first we have to talk about the kingdom of heaven for just a little bit. And uh, you can find more about this in the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now. If you want to read that book, there's a lot in there about what the kingdom of heaven actually is as opposed to what we think it is. We think of the kingdom of heaven as a place we go to after we die, and that we cannot be there until we die. And when, when we can't have a body when we go to the kingdom of heaven because uh, our body is sinful and therefore we have to we have to be pure and clean from sin therefore only our souls can go to heaven so that concept is based in the old traditional idea that sin is the problem and that heaven is a result of good behavior and that hell is a result of bad behavior and and so that has us divided into dualities where sin is you know, we're bad if we do this, and we're good if we do that. Uh, but the kingdom of heaven is actually, when you look at the root language, and first of all, it is within us. Jesus said that in Luke seventeen twenty one, I believe. Um, the kingdom of heaven is within us, and he said, don't look for it out there, don't look for it over there, because behold, it is within you. It's not out there. It's not some place out there that we go to only after we die. It is within you. And that's the word uh, that he uses there for, uh, for, you know, within you. It's within you. The root language means it's within you. So the kingdom of heaven is within us, and it's like a mustard seed. It's very small at first, but it grows so big it becomes a tree, and all the tree birds of the air can land in it. So... Over time, what's going to happen is that kingdom of heaven will, will grow and grow and grow within you so that you will begin to identify with it and it will become who you are. You will become the kingdom of heaven within you. Um, uh, the kingdom of heaven is, uh, you know, it's been told in lots of parables, very, various parables that Jesus used. And 
again, you can find out more about these in the, uh, Inhabiting Heaven Now, the book I wrote. But uh, the kingdom of heaven is is basically saying that it is a process, uh, not a place, but a process. And it's a process that is unfolding within us to transform us into a recognition of who we are. In other words, it is a process meant to wake us up to who we are. And that goes really hand in hand with other Eastern religions and other religions that say that we have a divine self. Jesus was trying to tell us that entering the kingdom of heaven was not something that happens after we die but it's something that we're in a process of unfolding to all the time but we cannot enter that unless our righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees what does that mean we can't even get here get to it on planet earth unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees so first of all we have to know that scribes and Pharisees were not people that Jesus admired so there's that but it's also true that the word righteousness there does not mean being a good person, doing good deeds. It means only Christ truly. So basically what he's saying is we must become conscious of our own Christ nature, the only Christ truly within us, in order for us to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven which is the Christ nature within us. So it is not about being a good person. Jesus said that over and over and over to the scribes and Pharisees. Clean the inside of your cup, and the outside will take care of itself. And and yet, the Pharisees were all about following the law, being a good person. And we see that today in our our mistaken Christianity, where it's it, the people are very focused on your behavior, the outer deeds, the things you do, the things you look like, and full of judgment about people that are going to hell, full of judgment one of the main scapegoats that they're using is the LGBTQ community. They're going to hell, and it's their fault that we have COVID, and it's their fault that we had AIDS, and it's their fault that we have earthquakes, and it's their fault, you know, they're to blame for everything. And, you know, so what that's basically saying is you're our scapegoat. We don't have to look at ourselves. We don't have to ask ourselves important questions. We, we just, you just take the blame for this. And, of course, that's not the truth. And true Christianity, true Christianity does not need a scapegoat. So um, it's important to really understand that the, the Christ nature within us does already by itself far surpass anything the scribes and Pharisees are doing to prove that they're good people. And so we have scribes and Pharisees today in our modern day world and they're cult leaders and they're leading people down the, the wrong path through this mistaken Christianity. And um, uh, so in, in, in the process of understanding who we are as divine beings, we come to understand that the Christ nature is within us all the time. And Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Now, he said that before he died. He did not say, after I die, I will overcome the world. After I die for your sins, I will overcome the world. He said, I have overcome the world. And what he meant by that is, I am living in my own source, which is God. I am, I, everything I do is initiated by the divine source within me. That is the overcoming of the world. And we'll talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in each week for Advancing All Women, hosted by Sarah Alter, the President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. Hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color to developing and engaging male allies to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19, Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free. 1-888-346-9141 That's 1-888-346-9141 you can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the whole nature of sin. That is a primary concept to the mistaken Christianity that is being touted about, very different from Christianity, which is based truly in the, concept, the concepts that Jesus put forth in the Gospels. And so here what I want to remind you of is I said this at the beginning of the show, but I want to remind you that we're not criticizing Christianity here we're, uh, because there is a, there are Christians who are very definitely very spiritual people who are very dedicated to their spiritual experience and understanding of the divine and very much involved in a true spiritual experience of the divine. But there are also teachers out there, cult leaders out there, who are teaching that, um, that, that sin is the very basic nature of, of the whole Christian experience. And, that, um, and because sin is the very basic nature of the Christian experience, then we must always be thinking about our sins and we must always be at, uh, alert to that possibility that we're, we're sinning, which, as we said in the beginning, is... Uh, uh, a setup for worthlessness where we believe we're unworthy of the presence of the divine and we're unworthy to, to really, uh, you know, be, be a part of other people because we're sinful people. And that un- very unworthiness is a setup for some mental health issues because unworthiness is a DSM-5 uh, criterion for major depression. And so uh, we... We need to be really careful about setting people up for unworthiness. But if if I can teach you that you are basically a sinful person and that I have the final truth for you, then you're going to want to listen to me 
And that's what cult leaders are doing. They're trying to get people to listen to them. So, you know, that's a whole other story there. But, but what we've talked about is that from the very same book that they use to tout that we are not, we are born into original sin and that we are all sinners and we're sinning all the, every day of our lives and that we, we need to be always asking for forgiveness and we always need to watch out for our sins and we need to be paying attention to that more than anything else. Um, and I've even seen and heard and read uh, Christian pastors teach that meditation is evil because it leads people to believe in a false god because it, it is based in, in Eastern motifs and not the Western motif. And it is also teaching us that we have a, a, a deep spirit within us that's one with the divine instead of teaching us that we're sinful people. And so, you know, there's just this you know, real major pushback against anything that says that we're not, that, that sin is not the major issue. Well, what we said here today is that from the very text of the same Bible that they're using, we find out that there absolutely is no separation between us and the divine. So sin cannot separate us from the divine. And we're all one with each other as well, as we've read those scriptures that said that. And, uh, and we've also read scriptures that said that, we, that we're going to finish our process of becoming a divine being, becoming aware of who we are as divine beings. We've also seen that Jesus said, does your scripture not tell you that you are God's? And that the psalmist said that we were a little lower than God. We, we've seen these things here that tell us that, in fact, sin is not the major issue. But that is what's being perpetuated by the cult leaders. And we also learned that the word righteousness does not mean being a good person and never committing a sin. What it means is only Christ truly. And if it's only Christ truly, it is the very nature of Christ that exists within us. And therefore, we, we can enter the kingdom of heaven that is within us because we are paying attention to the Christ nature that is within us. And he said that we are, our righteousness would, Jesus said that our righteousness needed to far surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees in order for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, we have to become only Christ truly in order to experience the kingdom of heaven that is within us. And so uh, I directed you to the book Inhabiting Heaven Now because there's a lot more about de defining by Jesus' parables what the kingdom of heaven actually is that I don't have time to go into today. But basically what it is is a kingdom of heaven that is within us that is constantly and consistently transforming us to, into becoming more and more aware of who we are. Even Paul said in Romans uh, that we need to surrender our minds so that they could be transformed. And, and, and so what we're learning here is that, that sin is not the issue. The issue is consciousness or unconsciousness. We're not, we have forgotten who we are. What happened in that Garden of Eden was not that Eve sinned. Rather, it is that she decided on an experience with duality where we believed ourselves to be separate from the divine and, and acted out in that manner. And because of that, we suffer. Because of that, we, we experience, and it's not punishment, it's just the reality that when we think we're separate from the divine, we're going to not believe we're being provided from the divine. It, it reminds me of that story in the Old Testament of the, of the Israelites crossing the wilderness for 40 years, and they 
complained perpetually to Moses that they would they didn't they didn't have any food to eat. And when Moses said, "You've got manna, you've got quail, you get this every day; it's dropped out of the heaven for you," and they said, "But we don't like that stuff." And it reminds me of a teenager who comes home from school exhausted and tired and hungry and looks in the refrigerator and then looks in the pantry and said, there's nothing to eat in here. And the mom comes in and says, look, you got all this food. There's pizza. There's this. There's that. There's the other in here. And here's the stuff in the in the pantry. Get yourself something to eat from there. And he goes, I hate that stuff. You know, that's that, the Israelites were acting like adolescents when they did that. But what, what essentially was happening there was they were denying that they were one with the divine. They were denying that they were being provided for, even though they were being provided for all day, every day. And that is our blindness. We do not see that we're being taken care of all the time. And because we don't see it, it doesn't appear. It doesn't manifest in our lives. Now, here's what I want to be clear about. This does not mean that I'm blaming poor people for their poverty. There is a culture of oppression around the world that is totally in charge of whether or not people are poor. That is a systematic. Uh, it even comes down to things like how education is done. So we, 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 in America, we decide on, or at least a large part of America, we decide on, uh, we, we pay for education through by property taxes. And what that means is that the people that are the poorest are going to get the poorest education because their property taxes are going to be lower. And the people that are wealthier are going to get the better educations because their property taxes are higher. And so uh, what that basically means is that's systematic oppression. It keeps poor people in their supposed place. And that is happening around the globe where poor people are considered to be not very good people and they are therefore deserve to stay in their place. And that's been ancient from time immemorial. So poverty is not an issue of whether or not you're believing in, in the divine. Poverty is an issue of oppression. And, and so, but what I see is that a lot of people that are very poor also do believe that they're being provided for, and they are provided for in some very significant ways. Some people that are, are poor are provided for in some very significant ways. But here's the thing. Unconsciousness is the issue with sin. If I don't know who I am, then how can I act as if I am divine? How can I live into the Christ nature if I have no a belief that, that um, I'm gonna be a, I can be a part of the Christ nature? And that is where the Pharisees, Jesus said their greatest sin was that they kept people from entering the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? The Pharisees were going around telling people to pay attention to their their actions. Actions, 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 actions. That's all they cared about. But Jesus was saying, no, it's not not the law that matters so much, but but the inner part of you. Clean the inside of the cup, and the outside will take care of itself. That's what he said. Jesus broke the law many times, but he was considered to be perfect. And yet, you know, people could say, well, he sinned, he blasphemed, he did this, that, and the other. That's what they said back then. But he, he's considered by Christians today to be perfect. He, not, he had no sin. Well, because he lived out of the Christ nature, he cleaned the inside of the cup, and the outside took care of itself. 
And that's what he was teaching us that we could do, that we could live in the Christ nature by, by going internal and, and being present with what's inside of us and working with that instead of trying to obey some external law. And so that's what he meant when, our, when he said our righteousness should surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. He meant that we should, we should uh, work with what's going on inside of us not necessarily so much the outside, and the inside would take care of the outside. And so if unconsciousness is the issue, then I don't know who I am as a divine being. And I'm saying divine being because that's what Jesus said. He said, do your scriptures not tell you that you are God's? So if he can say it, I can say it, and I'm saying it. We, we are divine beings who have forgotten who we are, and that is the message that Jesus came to bring us. He did not come to bring us a message about sin. He empowered sinful people over and over and over again to just go and become conscious. So when he said to, to, the, to, to those people he healed, go and sin no more, I don't think he meant go and just try really hard to be, uh, be, be a good person. I think probably those people had already been trying to be good people wasn't working. It wasn't helping their illness go away. But what he said was, now that you understand the inner world of the, the miraculous, then you can, you can be conscious now of who you are. Go and, be, and wake up. Go and become conscious. And so everybody he encountered, he woke them up a little bit. And that's what this show is all about. I, I want to help people wake up, if at all possible to who we are as divine beings. And, and, and so that mission that I feel has driven me to look at the root language of the text of the Bible, and, it, and, it, and the root language tells me something very different than what we're being taught in these old traditional uh, fundamentalist uh, regimes where the cult leader is actually telling people how to believe and how to live instead of asking them to have their own experience of the divine. It's when we experience the divine that we have these mystical uh, uh, experiences that tell us who we are as divine beings. They let us know that we're one with the divine, that we cannot be separated. Those are the experiences that I would encourage you to have. Go and meditate. Go and listen to your inner world. Go and see what the divine has to say to you about who you really are instead of listening to some external yammering voice defining you for you as a sinful person. Okay, that's all we've got for today. We'll be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week 